even though the world is crazy out there yeah um and lots of things are happening i have to say it's been a positive time i remember getting in touch with kamlesh saying you know i need to get ma on the podcast and i've been kind of hunting you down for a while and you know uh, he was like you know rohan she's she's traveling she's traveling she's coming and i was like okay uh, let her do a thing and i saw a lot of these pictures on instagram i think you were up north you're traveling up north uh, yeah, well, i was just at kedarnath which okay. was just an opportunity to go there and um it was really incredible i mean actually i've been really blessed to be able to been able to move between pune and delhi where my girlfriend lives mm-hmm. and it's been an amazing opportunity to go to some places which have been much more quieter because of the covid situation of course of course yeah so i've taken a few flights obviously with precautions i've done a few tests okay uh, along the way and yeah i've been really lucky to at least been able to move around the first three months i was i was at home okay. which was also lovely that's in pune you you were right here okay yeah, and nesting <laughs> you know resting and nesting like everybody but there was really positive time i think if you work in the entertainment industry mm-hmm. you always sleep deprived of course that's given i think that's part mm-hmm. of our, mm-hmm. our career i mean uh, for, but for me like for us we're like relatively new in the scene but but 4 5 years in the scene 6 years 7 years tops you know for us it was a it was a very new thing you know no shows 6 months straight uh, and for you i mean 20 years plus uh, you've been gigging and packed weekends and you know traveling the country the world how was this full stop that directly came to you in 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 terms of your career um Actually, I, once again, I feel really blessed. I mean, I feel that, okay, uh, definitely there's challenges in the industry right now. and um, But that's in every stream, in every industry, I think. No one could ever anticipate what was going to happen. Um, but actually, I looked at it as a kind of reset, a kind of recuperation. Like I said, spend time at home. You know, I was really blessed to be with my girlfriend and my parents were here. So mm-hmm. it was like family time, okay. which I tried to have family time. Time, but I don't usually get that much and usually for me I don't see friends that much because I'm busy at the weekend and yeah. busy during the week <laughs> so I, actually it was really lovely that I had time to just be in one space you know um, I definitely missed it <laughs> if you're on the road I mean I, I always feel that if I'm at home a month I get itchy feet and I'm like okay I need to go somewhere <laughs> anywhere I've got to drive somewhere or let's fly somewhere mm-hmm. so that was really difficult for me because I've been actually 27 years kind of on the road <laughs> and like suddenly like a big stop was crazy uh, so ma um, you know queen of electronica mother of electronica <laughs> mistress of electronica and and dance music you've been actually uh, uh, i mean if you just sum it up your your career and i mean it's it's an amazing huge long career that you've had uh, i'm really really intrigued to know how did things happen how did you get into the whole music scene because i think you grew up you grew up in africa well i was uh, born in africa you were born in africa and okay i moved to england when i was 11 months old and i was there till i was 23 Okay. So I came to India first time 1993 when I was 23. Okay. Just on a journey of my own discovery of what it was to be Indian because I grew up in the UK. Okay. And I grew up in a very white area and I went to a school with 1800 white kids. <laughs> 
and there was one um, African, one Vietnamese, and one Indian. Me. Wow. So <laughs> it was just you know it was a whole other world. I, I I I didn't feel very Indian. Okay. So I came I think to India to just kind of get in touch with who am I and what am I and yeah it was a journey of self discovery and then I just fell in love with India. Okay. And I've, growing up, growing I've always up. been interested in music. Though that's what I've always played instruments. I've I've studied music. Okay. I've always been very passionate about music. All right, but that's that comes in through your family. Was 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 music no. involved in the family back in the day? Oh no, my father's a lawyer, and okay. my mother was a private secretary, and so no, neither of them. They enjoyed music. And okay, love to go to concerts, and they love to go to opera and theatre. And All right. they're very varied from classical Indian music to Western classical to jazz to pop to my mum's been to you know um, most of the big artists Tracy Chapman oh, wow. she was at um, George Michael she was at Robbie William concerts in the UK because my Phenomenal, sister used yeah. to work for MTV wow. so she used to go to all these concerts so my, my parents love music and they're very um, outgoing social culturally uh, interested people so I had a lot of influences and access to music Okay, um, but no one is a musician all right. So I think music, growing up, you heard a lot of pop and all of that, you know, in that kind of stuff. UK, yeah. And you traveled to India. Where was your, where was the pitch stop? Where did you stop in, in India? Well, I was in Goa. Okay. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> Let's just get adjusted to India. Because um, that's where you get all the answers to the questions you had. <laughs> I think probably. Well, there's lots of journeys of discovery, let's say, <laughs> you know, and... Um, yeah, I mean, but I realized that wasn't India, so I went out traveling. I mean, uh, the next place I went to was Humpy. Okay, of course. I mean, that's yeah, yeah. <laughs> by bus, sitting on the roof. Um, I can tell some stories. <laughs> that's that's why we're here, yeah, and that's why old, you're on the podcast. Old stories of an old India. You know, I can actually keep a separate series uh, to cover your life. Uh, don't worry, I'll, I'll add another segment saying this is uh, Mafaiza series, and probably you can have four or five episodes. So I, I have enough of time, don't worry. <laughs> yeah, no, there's a lot of stories, because I did a lot of traveling. Okay. Yeah. India, you know, I, I traveled for one year and that was already 27 years ago. So I also remember a very different India. And of unlike course. a lot of people I meet who are like 30 or 35, <laughs> they weren't traveling when they were five or eight years old, or of even course. 10 years old. So actually I experienced a lot more of India in its wholeness and richness of all the different states and all the different cultures that appear in the different areas. I, I experienced that already nearly 30 years mm -hmm. ago when I realized that a lot of people that I meet. All right. So I think at 23, when you came to India, I think your first stop was, was Goa. Mm. And, uh, you know, what was the reason you, you took that call? I mean, um, it was, it was like a year, you were here the first time you came here? Or was yes. it like a, okay. I traveled for a year kind of just exploring India and trying to get in tune with who I was and, you know, what part of me was British, what part of me was Indian, what, okay. What what am I? Because I didn't really fit in in England. What what were you doing in in in, in the UK uh, at twenty two twenty three? Um, oh God, I had so many different jobs. I mean, I was in sales for quite a while. <laughs> I had a sales company, and I used to teach people how to sell. I used to do phone sales, and I used to do cold calling. I used wow. to specialize in a few things, and then I worked with children for a few years. I was a child worker. Okay. Um, doing activities and workshops. I've done a lot of stuff. I've I've made candles. I spent one year. <laughs> I made like. 1,500 candles for like a festival in England. Oh my God. And I was at the festival and I sold like two candles. 
<laughs> not because uh, the candles were shit or anything. It was just that there were there were where my stall was was like the end of the festival, and nobody even walked that far. Um, so then I had like one thousand four hundred and ninety-eight candles. My God! And I remember for like five years afterwards. If ever, and actually, actually, um, uh, if you, uh, I just got you a small gift, and if uh, you know, if you open it up, probably you'll have a couple of more <laughs> added onto that. So that's so lovely. I'm a candle freak. It's wonderful. No, I, I love them. I, I appreciate candles because I've actually made them. I bear the scars of burnt wax on my, oh my God. on my hands for making them. But the funny story was for the next five years, every time I went to anybody's house, I'd be like, oh, I brought candles. And they're like, oh my God. You've still got some more of those candles, but they were amazing. And I learned a lot, you know, like don't make 1,500 candles for a festival and sell too. Um, but I've done a lot of things, you know, I'm, I'm a jack of all, master of none. I'll try everything, you know, wow. I, even in the house, I, I do most things myself. I love fixing things. Wow. I love repairing and I love DIY. I can obviously see that. And I mean, I, I actually love your house. I, I wish we're only limited to being an audio podcast. I wish you could just record the entire house and just show you how this, how wonderful the setup is. And that kind of speaks more about your personality because I see a lot of, of Mafaisa in the house. Yeah, and I think... Yeah, and, and I, I, I love color, and I feel like when you walk in my place, you 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 know that a child lives here, <laughs> and the child is me. <laughs> Yeah. Great. So at 23, uh, uh, so uh, Goa was there. Uh, and how, I, I remember... It's because of the music, actually. Yeah. Because I, I started going to um, psychedelic trance nights, kind of what you would call tech house now. Yeah. Kind of techno nights in London. There used to be this club called Heaven. Okay. And they had this night called Megatripolis. And okay. this night was just fucking out there. It had this space... Um, was probably, they had like a million dollar lights. They had this whole lights that came down and they had a gallery and they had seven areas, seven arenas in this space. And in the seven arenas, they would have, if you bought an instrument, you could get in free in the club. So there were all these okay. people playing instruments and like drums and flutes. And some people, there was this girl, Julia, used to bring a cello. <laughs> and then they used to have like a chill out space and like a dance space and then a, uh, a, a drumming space or then a workshop space mm -hmm. and then a talking space so they had like mad people from psychedelic culture come and do talks and they had stalls and they had I mean it was just a mad space where you could dress up where you could be somebody else where you could you could explore um, the world you could you know imbibe many different things there I mean from natural alternative highs you know to I guess illegal ones too <laughs> um, it was a really amazing space and it would start at um, nine o'clock in the evening and go until six o'clock in the morning oh the God. next day. And it was on a Thursday. <laughs> so it was just kind of start your weekend. You know? And this, yeah. this, the music there changed my life, the energy there the vibe there, the the community. And I suddenly fell into this tribe of people where we were just going out on a Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night. And I was also selling like hand-painted lighters and fluoro, whatever. <laughs> I was just making things. And so I had all stalls at all these clubs and you could have a stall for free. Okay. The entry was for free if you did a stall, but you'd have to set up at six o'clock in the evening <laughs> and you'd have to stay till the end. Oh my God. So that's like morning. That's a 12 hour shift. Yeah. <laughs> 
So I was doing three or four of these every weekend and I don't know, it just kind of, for me, it was like, okay, Goa is the first place I'm going to go to. Well, and that was because the whole tribe that I was yeah. hanging with in the UK, they were also, um, you know, Goa was the center of that kind of music. So yeah, that's where I I remember it. you just, you recently posted up a picture on Instagram, you're sitting down selling some cassettes. Yeah, that was in Pune. In that was in Pune? Are you serious? Yeah, in Lakshmi Villas, which is now where Conrad Hotel is built. I thought that was Goa that looks so much like Goa no, but then but tell us about that. Like tell, that tell me about that picture Puna was like that too we used to have these little markets and there'd be parties at farmhouses and wow yeah, I mean Puna was actually there were a lot of people from Goa who'd come to uh, the ashram or just come to Puna because it was on the way up maybe up to the mountains mm-hmm. you know so really good climate when Goa got really hot yeah um, yeah they used to have these just little markets where people you know like you have the Goa flea market mm-hmm. you have the night market of course, of course. With, you know, handmade stuff. So yeah. there were a lot of freaks and people doing creative <laughs> things here. So we just used to do those markets. So that was, I was just selling my tapes and my mini discs. And So where did you, you know, where did you collect them from? Where, what's the I story? I used to go to London every summer. Anyway, I tried to be in London or in Europe in the summer. I don't really like the rain. A couple of weeks of rain. Okay. <laughs> Three months of rain. No, no. no I, it's just not my thing. I don't like cold very much either. Okay. I just... I, I lived in England for 23 years. I fucking hate the rain <laughs> and the cold. You know, it's just like so grim. I love sunshine. So um, I go to Europe every summer. And so I'd go there and I'd look for music. I'd go to clubs. I'd connect with people. I'd buy a lot of CDs and I'd put together compilations and mixes from all the new stuff that I was mm-hmm. hearing or influenced by and then come back. And then I would make these tapes. I'd draw the covers and I'd make a menu and I'd put them in all these different boutiques and shops in Goa and cafes. Wow. And yeah. And that was kind of how my fires. I mean, I didn't put a track list. Mm-hmm. So the, every tape had a name which I'd, would come to me. Okay. You know, like like Funkadelica or Ethnopsychedelica or Tantra Sonic or Cyberfunk <laughs> or Earthworld or and that would describe the music. But I would also write a description in the menu, which was, you know, uplifting, fluffy world music, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you can't sit still if you listen to it, or yeah. something for making love, or very mm-hmm. tantric, or you know, I'd describe them like that emotionally. And the only thing that would be on there would be my Pfizer. So even though I was putting loads of different music together from other people, there was on a track list so you only bought it because it had my visor oh, wow. because maybe you bought three tapes one time mm-hmm. you'd come and you'd buy them all because if you liked some of them you'd probably like all of them wow. and I had a lot of people who a lot of foreigners bought them in the beginning travelers and they would go traveling all around India with these tapes so then people would say oh my god that music's really good or they'd be listening to that music for six months so that music became almost like a really good friend that you carry with you that is with you through the good times and the bad times mm-hmm. and then you share that when you're in a group with your little portable speakers in those days yeah. and your tape player or mini display or CD player, you'd, other people would listen to it. So then people would come specifically to buy the tapes that they've heard, you know, even today people write to me to say, well, Pfizer, you know what? I still have those tapes and I obviously don't have a tape player anymore, <laughs> but is there any way because they mean so much to me and there's so much nostalgia, I, you know, they're more than 25 years old, some of well. them. 
So, so they wanted to kind of yeah. started DJing. I just put compilations together, and people would be like, "Wow, that's a real story." And I started mainly doing ambient music. Okay, it wasn't dance music and DJing. I, my first gigs were all in Europe. Were all chill out. That well, was the only way to get my foot in the door. Okay, was to play on a chill out floor, and then maybe the next year move to an opening or a closing because I could I could go from silence to psytrance in slowly, 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 slowly from. Mm-hmm. Silence at the beginning of a festival, yeah. or I could close the floor by going from psytrance down progressive, yeah. lower BPM to silence, which is an art. Of course, of course. I mean, that's if you just if if you, if, you, if anyone's gone to your your sets and that's that's the the BPM range is so yeah. wide. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's one of the yeah. things that you cover up, yeah. uh, and obviously you have your long sets. Yeah. Uh, so very long. Yeah. <laughs> so tell me, tell me, how was where was the first time you actually said, you know, this is a gig. This is where I'm going to be doing this. Uh, um, uh, I mean, tell me your first DJ gig, your actual DJ gig. Was it in? Was it, it was in, in Pune. It was in Pune. It was in Pune. Yes, I played in Osho Ashram. Oh wow! I used to have a bar there. Okay. And a friend of mine was uh, like the bar manager there. You know, he used to do events. First of all, no, actually, before that, before I played at the bar, um, somebody asked me if I could put music together for a uh, meditation. Actually. Um, I'm trying to think of the name. It's called the. Um, it was a, um, it was a club or was it? No, was no, 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 no. This is like a a workshop. Okay. Where you go through different stages. Of, okay. Um, you play music and people have to um, express through that, but um, you can express silence in the music. It's wow. called Gabriel Roth, the Five Elements. Okay. So it passes through, you know, joy or happiness or, and then silence, even in music to play silence. Well, um, so I was asked to do the music and in the, and that time I played off tapes. Well. So they had a two tape, <laughs> double tape deck. Yeah. And you just had to flip it over and push the counter and forward and <laughs> preview it and, and people really I obviously I obviously have no idea what you're talking about because <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like yeah, yeah 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 because I've heard a lot of these stories and and it's it just gives me I mean it just kind of solidifies how much respect we have for all of you OGs man because this is something but you do uh, with the technology that you had at the time so we didn't know any different yeah it wasn't like we had another option it wasn't like oh should we play mp3 <laughs> off a laptop oh no let me just stick a tape in and spend the next five minutes faffing around <laughs> with it and forwarding it with a pen you stick a pen in the t- yeah spin it faster you know and so no there just wasn't <laughs> any option so i think when you when that's the technology that you have you don't actually see it as a challenge yeah. you actually see you're actually like oh my god i could do this <laughs> you know i remember computers my first computer that i bought in london in uh <laughs> wait a minute no i was 18 19 88 oh my god first computer oh my god um i bought my first mobile phone in 1990 i think (laughs) so yeah so anyway my first computer 1988 uh no 1986 i was 16 it had a hard drive which was 32 mb oh my god oh my god God. crazy (laughs) crazy (laughs) 
So, and we thought that was amazing. That was one of the top hard drives that you could have. And that, that computer then cost 1,500 pounds. Oh my God. Do you know how much that was like, you could buy a house probably for that, <laughs> you know? Um, so I'm just saying you deal with the technology. So whilst you can congratulate us all, <laughs> gold medals, us old analog yeah. oldies, actually it was just what the technology was there. I, whilst it might, might have been complicated, we didn't have any other fucking option. So your first show, like your first gig uh, in terms well, of... That, that workshop then led to saying, you know, my friend saying, well, why don't you come and do something in the ashram and, you know, in the bar, play some nice music. And, and so I did that. And then somebody else saw me there and said, oh, I've got a, you know, I'm having a party at home. Will you come and play some tapes or whatever? And wow. So actually it just started like that. Okay. And there was no, was it like, was it like a career decision? Okay, let me do this as a profession. Oh, was no. no? Selling tapes. I was like, my whole reason for going and playing at people's houses, no one paid me anything. Okay, some free food and some nice people and lovely, but I would take all those tapes and take a tape player or my CD and I bought a double CD. Um, one of the first, like the, I want to say the name, um, what were those first double? They were big racks. Yeah, I, I remember the. Do anything of the company? Oh my god, people! There was Akai, I think Akai, Kenwood, all of these things were there. Yes, yeah, the first ones. Yeah. You know? So I even bought one of those and was playing like that. But the whole purpose of me playing was people would then go, "Wow, this is amazing music," and I'd go, "Wow, <laughs> actually, I sell it on every format, so, or I could put compilations together for you, but you'd have to buy ten for me to do that." So I, my whole reason of doing that was to sell my tapes. So. I didn't think of me like a DJ and many people would be like, oh yeah, Ma, you're that DJ. And I was like, no, 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 I'm not a DJ. I'm somebody who puts together stories and puts Selector. together music, yeah. but I'm not a DJ. So I think it took me at least maybe 10 years till I even owned the fact that maybe this is wow. what I'm doing. I'm DJing now. Because <laughs> I didn't go to DJ school and no one showed me anything. And I just, I'm someone that learns hands-on. I'd rather just do it and completely make a mess and then start again and do it and maybe make less of a mess and then mm -hmm. you know and 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 that's how I, I I I get bored if I I'm not very good at homework and I get really bored if I do things with too much um how can I say rules or too yeah. much uh, format I need to give me a little bit of an outline and then I'll just find my way <laughs> I prefer that but then when it actually come into like a structure, you know, where someone was paying you for a gig and you knew, you, you know, you knew you were going to get some money for this. And when, when did that, I want to know when did that, that actually happen? I got happened? paid for my, I think my first gig I got paid was, um, 1998. Okay. So that was like five years in, I got paid, yeah, like some, I don't know, 2000 rupees. I did a gig in Pune, which did get busted by the police. <laughs> And actually, who booked me was that actor. Um, you can see I really don't remember names these days. <laughs> I'm really bad with names. Uh, he was in Dev, the film Dev. No, no idea. He's, he's from a family of actors. Uh, that's the one. So he was studying in Pune at acting school. I okay. to Mumbai a lot. And he was dating this girl, very nice girl, Aoife, who does yoga. Um, and they booked me. Are you serious? Wow. Yeah. And we did a party 
Galatia, this amazing place. They just built it. It was like this huge house with all this, with a courtyard. And we did a party on the rooftop. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. I mean, like just listening to your stories, I, I mean, I can actually just go back and, uh, you know, just... <laughs> You're 50 now. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. Wow. Uh, another thing I really wanted to ask you, I mean, uh, over these years, you've you've actually managed to be your, actually an international traveling DJ. Um, yeah, but because I have a British passport. Yeah, but then... But that it, helps. <laughs> that so does. in the beginning, when I was playing in Europe, what Indian DJs were coming over, anyway, DJing hadn't really started here. Mm-hmm. But it had been, it's already had, was, was very well evolved in Europe or, you know, even in America. So for me, just the fact that I have a British passport means that I, I don't need to have to go and get a visa to go and play. I can just get on a plane and go. Yeah. And so for me that I knew that at all the festivals in the early, when I started DJing at the big festivals in, let's say, 2000 onwards so that's 20 years ago mm-hmm. there was not one artist and not one DJ from India anywhere Rumi was around but he was living in Germany DJ Rumi mm-hmm. He, mm-hmm. Rami, Rumi Sharma mm-hmm. um, he was in Germany um, in Berlin at the time but he was also living there and traveling but okay <laughs> that was it you know there yeah. was nobody so the, I know that the only reason was is because I'd already come from the yeah. UK and had access to all that music and access to technology and access to everything and then I've come here and then every time I, I can just get on a plane and go so I think that that gave me a bit of a heads up on other people who have to go and beg for a fucking visa <laughs> talking about visas uh, just before the recording uh, you you told me about the time one time when Marfaiza got arrested I did <laughs> in Puna tell the audience about that in the evening I was at 9.30 yeah I was playing in 911. Okay. Post 911. Post 91. Yeah, yeah. Not 911. Yeah. Post 91. Which then he had to change the name, I think, at some point. We were doing an event and I'd brought my friend Naz, who's come many times and Mm -hmm. performed with me. And he brought his friend Moon, who plays the violin. And we were doing this show and the police just came in and took videos. They even had like a digital (laughs) camera. This is already, uh, I think, 13 years ago. Okay. And then we're like, where are they? visas and I was like oh my god uh, <laughs> uh, okay and uh, yeah so the police arrested us all we had to go to court oh my god um, and um, I don't even know what we pleaded guilty to but we paid some <laughs> money um, it was a very stressful time the police took their passports and you know it was I I, I think one club just paid money to the police to go and bust and oh my god at 9.30 in the evening but that's crazy I mean that's <laughs> like I've never actually I've seen a lot of Parties being busted. Oh no! But I've in this, at, I was in remember in Jaipur at this party in two thousand and six, and it was called Moon Dust, and in the end we called it Moon Bust <laughs> because day one of it wasn't a party; it was like a five day festival with camping in those days in Jaipur. Yeah, and you know Rajasthan had never heard of anything. Yeah, of course. Suddenly the police came; it was in the media. Everybody left. I left a pushcart for five days. <laughs> Everybody just disappeared. The organizers disappeared. Everybody. Then just recently, I was in indoor in February. Mm-hmm. I just come back from Europe this year. In fact, this was one of my last gigs. Okay. And I turned up in indoor at this outdoor party. And within half an hour of being there, the police came and busted that. And there I am scrambling over a wall trying to just run. I mean, it's actually quite scary. So these days I take even more care because that's not my responsibility. I go there to play music. That's all I'm doing. I go there with joy in my heart. 
heart and music in my bag and that's it. Whatever's happening at that party in that city, I don't even know that city, you know? I've, and to be involved in situations or issues or club to club rivalry or licensing issues or uh, licenses, I mean, who wants to get involved in all of that? You can just end up in the middle of an absolute nightmare and all you are is the DJ. <laughs> yeah. So um, nowadays we try, after that last one, I was just like, you know what? I'm too old for this shit. I'm just going and I'm performing music. I'm not there for anything else, you know? And at that time I was fasting. I've just been doing intermittent fasting. Okay. Where I was fasting for 23 hours a day and only eating for one hour a day. Oh my so God. I'm, I'm, I'm not even eating or drinking there. You know, I'm not even consuming anything. I'm just going there really for the music and I'm drinking water, boiled water while oh I'm DJing. God. So for me, I'm like, I feel a little bit so outside of what might be happening in a club, mm -hmm. of what I'm doing in a club. So yeah, I, I, I think it's, yeah, I have to maybe take a bit more care. <laughs> Uh, one more thing I want to ask you is, is your process because uh, I think over these years uh, technology has changed the crowd has changed the music has changed the music you were playing has changed the music you're playing right now has kind of evolved not changed rather mm -hmm. uh, what's your process before you get a gig uh, I mean you've played festivals you've played uh, big arenas you've played 15,000 people plus you've played smaller venues yeah. uh, clubs uh, how do you prepare for your gigs? And I want to know. I want to know this through through. I mean, all these years of experience. Uh, how did you kind of? You know, how do you prepare your gigs? How do you? I think actually, I'm probably really a bad person to ask because I don't really prepare that much, and I don't. I don't practice my DJing. I don't really know all my tracks that well. I try to keep it really fresh by just. Mm -hmm. You know, I can't, You know, it's not my mind. I, I, no, but I mean, you've played. You've played yeah, places. I just, I, 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 okay, let's say I, now I have a gig coming up in Goa. Okay. Okay. And it's been months. Yeah, it's been eight months since I did a real gig yeah. in front of a crowd. What am I going to do? I know that they are, it's, it's, it's a techno gig. There is no psychedelic. So last track though, <laughs> of course, touch psychedelic. <laughs> because, you know, I've got to go out with my, yeah. Yeah. You've got to, you know. Got, <laughs> yeah. So the last track maybe, or the last two at a squeeze, just touching psychedelic at the yeah. p.m. You know, but do I know what I'm going to play? Am I going to make a list? No, because that's really, that's really boring. I just want to put a load of tracks more in my pen drive and just go. No, in terms of your prep, I mean, obviously, in terms of your preps, do you have, do you have selected music that, you know, let me play something from this, this probably this folder or yeah, I mean, if, maybe put together a folder, mm -hmm. but maybe there's a hundred tracks in there. Okay. So first of all, if that's the case, it's and it's a new folder and I'm like, right, tonight I'm not playing a single track I've ever played before. I'm, I can tell you that I probably haven't even heard those tracks that I'm going to play even once all the way through. I've just heard bits of it, but that's enough because in my lifetime, I've probably heard 5 million tracks. So, cause I can click, 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 click. I, you can just I look listen at on, I, I, I don't, I can't tell you how I process it, but how my brain processes it but I just need to hear 10 seconds of a track at different bits and that's 10 seconds in total and I'm just like okay I kind of like that vibe or I forget the frequency or I get I, and I can't tell you how I like it or why mm -hmm. I can't tell you so you don't have any particular there. place where this is going to be probably the starting of my set oh it's my just God, a vibe no. no but I try to find before the gig like right before so what I do is if I'm traveling I'll be in the hotel room I always like to have that time you know to just listen to some music on fast forward <laughs> <laughs> 
because uh, obviously the tracks you're playing all six, seven, nine minutes and above. I think yeah. most of the things. So, but I, I yeah, I, I, you know, when I explain it, it sounds really stupid and maybe it sounds lazy, but I don't know that it's any of those things. It's just that I, I remain enthusiastic. Because I don't know where the breakdown is, and I'm playing MP3s. I'm not playing WAV, so I don't even get a yeah the wave file. Yeah. And I'm not using record box because uh, <laughs> no, too like <laughs> ordered. And I I just I need I need, if I go with my mind, I'm not there. I have to go there with my heart and my soul, and I have to go there with my with being present. And when you're in your mind, you're not present. So I want to be in the moment. And the only way to do that is to not know what the fuck I'm doing. Because <laughs> that's where the magic is. I okay. Know this all sounds really bad <laughs> and really weird. No, it's probably, it's probably, um, I, I think over the years you've, you've had so many gigs and probably you've, you've got the flow. I think, I mean, by I just... to have a first track. Ex- okay. That's important. But that completely can be fucked up because <laughs> you'll go and play someone who's decided to honor you by playing music that you play or they've want to play banging psychedelic before you're playing yeah no or god only knows so you can be completely fucked up so i just keep it free floating because you know too much rigidity too much Mm -hmm. is not good thing i've booked djs i remember booking a couple of djs at times to open for me for my birthday and then i've been like oh when they've arrived you know like a blue frog gig i'm like okay you'll open for me it's my birthday so i can be with people and they're gonna have great music and have a really good time and then i'll just do the last two hours and they're like yeah great and then i find out that they're actually playing progressive chants which means i don't want to start off with progressive chants yeah i want to i want to have like it's my birthday i don't want (laughs) to listen to and they're going from progressive to psychedelic chants and i'm like no 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 so they've arrived and i'm like yeah but i'm sorry i didn't update you but i thought you'd kind of realize i understand it, yeah. and they're like my i can't change it i've already prepared the set and i've got the usb stick with it on i'm like and that's all you've got and they're like yeah and i'm just like holy fuck i go out with ten thousand tracks or <laughs> yeah I go out with 800 cds in a book i don't i, I think don't. yeah that's that's one of the learnings we've had on the podcast we've actually we've spoken to a lot of guests and that's one of the learnings we had on the podcast you know where uh i think most of the the new, the new djs who've just learned how to dj uh, i think they're just there for the you know okay let me it's my chance it's my showdown chance you know that's my and I think that's that's in the process we're trying to get to you know get this information out to as many people as you know to kind of do their do their research and what the artist is playing and you know kind of figure out that kind of a sense I mean look I'll be totally honest with you most of the opening DJs are absolutely wonderful and so many people research I see they make a special Marfiza folder people pay me so much respect with knowing what you know a lot of people who I end up playing after um, all over the country I have to take my hats off to them they work really hard to play something that A really impresses me B really fits in with what I'm doing mm-hmm. I mean okay we also send out a rider saying you can't play any more than 123 people yeah. because I have had moments where <laughs> I can I can understand terrific and I'm like what are you trying to do are you are you trying to murder me because <laughs> I now have no other option than what you're doing or yeah. I have to take it right back and stop the need another half hour to build another story and maybe I'm only playing for an hour and a half so you know I, I at this point I have to kind of make things fit what I want to do I can't just do what other people want me to do. But I'd say that 90% of the time, the resident DJs, they do so much research and usually they're super big fans, which is why I'm probably playing there. Yeah. They've mentioned, look, can we book Ma or 
not. Yeah. You know? So actually, I'm quite lucky that people make a lot of effort to do something spectacular for me, memorable, mm-hmm. with a lot of kindness and respect. And I think you've also played at some really, I mean, I didn't know most of these cities, but Bilaspur. And yeah, Raipur, Bilaspur. <laughs> um, How do they react to your music? I mean, for well, them, it's... Again, obviously- you see, I, I, it's, it's about, like, Bilaspur only happens because one particular guy who studied in Pune with his okay, friends... Okay, okay. <laughs> Then went to, let's say, Stonewater Grill, where I used to play many times on Sunday. I'd do a seven-hour set and I'd throw my CDs out and he'd collected all my CDs, took them back to Bilaspur. All his friends became super big fans. So when he got married, he booked me for a party because his wife's family owned a club. And then from that, more people got exposed and got seduced to Malfizer. And then now he actually opened a club himself okay. and then booked me for the inauguration of a place. So it isn't always that the music has traveled there. Music travels, you know, and good shit travels. Yeah. Yeah. Well, bad shit also travels. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, like, it's with a lot of love that people have taken me wherever they went and then have created a whole kind of following of Mar Pfizer without me even being there because mm-hmm. they had something that they had at the end of the gig, you know, because I used to throw out thousands of CDs. Yeah, I, I did 5,000 CDs a year for at least 10 years. Throw them out like literally. Yeah, people got hit in them. I had people writing me, bitch, that hit me in the eye and then when it fell on the floor, the CD had fallen out and I just, I had a box to go home with and a black eye, you know. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, I hit people in the face at many festivals. My God, my those. God, my but God. But I got really good at throwing They became like discuses. I could get them really you far. You're literally a disc jockey. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. I really have to ask you this. Uh, it's it's not, not, not really controversial, but I mean, it's, it's a topic I want to cover. Uh, India, not just India, across across the entire uh, world, there is a bit of a, uh, a preconceived, uh, you know, uh, illusion or a, or a perception about female DJs, uh, either being fake or you know, uh, being being you know, not just the music, being everything else around the music. And uh, for you, I think twenty years ago and twenty five years ago, getting into the scene, uh, I mean, culturally as well as a country, as a as a culture, we have a very different uh, setup. And uh, over the years, it's just kind of added on, added on. I, and I don't really like the term female DJ you know I've never I mean we won't uh, you know advertise it as a female Why DJ yeah, of course it? I mean it's it's it Gender doesn't make sense it's irrelevant it doesn't it, yeah of course it does but then uh, it's kind of got everyone to the perception you know okay it's all fake I mean Paris Hilton comes across and oh God, all of I these guys gig when yeah. Paris Hilton played at least she got paid <laughs> yeah but then how, how, how does it how, how does it feel for you uh, um, I mean being a female DJ as, as, as they say yeah what I mean, what what are your thoughts on, you know... I think there's many, there's many thoughts. I mean, you know, like in the beginning, I would say being a woman really helped me get my foot in the door. Of course. In those days. Because yeah. there weren't very many. And when you're fighting, uh, when your competition is so many, to get your foot in the door is quite hard. But being a female DJ or a woman DJ was at least unusual. So mm-hmm. there was like a USP at the end of that. Of course. I agree that sadly, you know, um, I mean, it's, it's very difficult. Of course, I get offended when there's a girl there that looks absolutely amazing. I mean, even, you know, I, I, I'm in this top India, uh, top DJing 
1,900. Yeah. <laughs> they nominate me every year and I'm in there. And I looked every year at the whole picture collage of 100. And, you know, I'm the only one that looks like me and all the others look extremely feminine and extremely beautiful. And they're also selling their femininity, which I don't know if I do that. I, I try. That's not really me. So um, being very non-binary and mm-hmm. also queer, I don't really relate to that. Of course. So, uh, and it's not how I express myself. Although, of course, I express my femininity in so many other ways. But mm-hmm. the fact that I'm a woman, I know at least my my competition is less, first of all. <laughs> yeah. And then secondly, I think, unfortunately, a lot of women have to rely maybe on the fact that they're very female or the fact that the way they look to um, get gigs. But then I feel that, that they might lose respect in the music that they're playing. Give an example. I was in Bangalore playing at City Bar <clears throat> and they had booked this DJ, DJ Flower. I remember the name. <laughs> And that's okay. not not cliche at all, though. No, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and she did a lot of FTV Playboy. You know, she looked amazing. Um, she wore really low cut outfits. We we go both got picked up from the airport, and we were really running late. You know, our flights had been delayed, and she was on before me. And she, I was. She said to me, you know, like, oh, I need a few hours. I was like, well, we're at the same venue where we're staying. We're staying there. That's Oakwood, just in in, in a UB city. Yeah. So it was all very local. I mean, Mm -hmm. hideous getting there. But okay. And she was like, I need a few hours. And I was like, but what for? And she was like, well, I have to do my makeup. And I've got to, you know, and I was just like, oh, yeah, I don't actually need that long to do to, to get on. But she played and she was playing really great music and she was mixing and but everybody all the guys wanted pictures with her you know all these pictures with her but everybody kept coming over to me saying ma when are you going to play bad music come on we're waiting for you ma and I just felt that that wasn't respectful of course it was more about she had great tits (laughs) and she looked amazing rather than actually listening to her music so I think in the end it does you a disservice as a woman because also when you get that kind of attention people think that somehow you are for sale and I that you know there's a lot of sexual energy which is unwarranted and you know I don't think even I don't even think the girl DJs want to have that attention well I know they don't Mm -hmm. but because they're actually their communication is about the way they look that they get a lot of energy that they don't you know particularly want like give an example I was playing in Hyderabad and I have a lot of fans who want to come over and have a hug and I'm DJing and these are my fans and my fans mean everything to me okay Mm -hmm. I will put my headphones down and if it's somebody who comes to all my gigs or somebody I know, you know the, the, forget fans, they're my friends. These are the people that put me where I am. These yeah. are the people that go everywhere that I go, that pay money and bring their friends and support me. Those people are everything. You know, I don't care about the fucking club that booked me. Yeah. I care about those fans. You know, they're there every single day. You know, they're listening on SoundCloud. They're, they're really important to me, genuinely. Yeah. You know? I take it really I personally, feel, yeah. yeah, really emotionally connected to them. So I want them to come and give me a hug. And there's all these bouncers who are like, yeah, no, no, yeah. no. And I'm like, listen, I'm the DJ and I'm telling you right now, you let that person come because I want to hug. I want to hug that person. And in the end, in some of those places, I actually come off the stage to go and hug those people well. and then go back on the stage. There was one particular place in Hyderabad. I can't remember the name. It just opened. And they said to me, no, Ma, 
for all girl DJs, we cannot have anybody coming up because last week, I think it was Paroma, mm-hmm. she had played and uh, someone had come up and yeah. I tried to touch her or whatever. And I was like, listen, first of all, I, I'm not that DJ. I'm a girl DJ, but I, I can take care of myself, first of all. And secondly, I'm telling you that I want people, I want to be accessible. Yeah. I don't want all this fucking security standing there looking really like putting a, a dampener on my vibe. I don't want that. I want to be accessible, you know. And if someone's going to touch me, I'm going to say to them, don't fucking touch me. <laughs> and I don't think anyone's going to because they're more interested there about my music. So. Yeah. I understand how girls also have to protect themselves and and that's also wrong you know mm. but I think the communication could be you know you could s- sell your music rather than your so, I I understand because yeah. I'm also selling an image I'm creating a character also I mm-hmm. create different clothes I have different looks yeah I understand but I don't know if I sexualize it and unfortunately in India especially when you see a really beautiful woman it's usually set your you know, men yeah. sexualize that. It can't just be, oh, she's beautiful and clever and intelligent, you know, and strong and powerful <laughs> and talented. No, no, she's just hot. Yeah. And I think that's something which needs to kind of change. I mean, I've never really asked, but if you literally have to like specifically give an advice to female DJs, what would the advice? Because I usually have it very general. And since whoever's listening, whoever's just picking it up, what would you give them? And, uh, you know, what advice would you give them? Because obviously they have to take care of their social media and their marketing as well. Because uh, yeah, the time, but I I mean, being beautiful, it's an amazing thing and looking really sexy if you're owning that for yourself I think that's wonderful but I think if you communicate that oh, I think it can lead to definitely difficulties yeah. like I was part of a survey which was a, a survey anonymous survey where any woman in the music industry could share their thoughts and feelings on some very personal questions like have have you been sexualized have you had people treat you misappropriately have you do you feel you know that you know have you had situations and you you know what scarily nine out of ten women said yes and you know I for one feel really blessed but I I'm I feel like you know I am a woman but because I look really different and I try to communicate power and strength and energy but I don't try and communicate it in a sexual way of course I think I managed to convey something else so when my fans say to me I love you I know yeah. that they don't just love my tits I know it's about, they actually I mean I, I get being, the yes of course know? I don't know how to do that because I don't look like any of them yeah so my experience in life has just been really different and you know my my own identity has just been a bit different of course I'm a woman and I have suffered everything that a woman has experienced I also have experienced of course but just the fact that I look a bit different and I'm out there DJing I think I get a different energy so I, I I don't really know a solution to it other than the more you sexualize something if you're doing it for yourself and you're owning that shit as a woman I think fine because you come from power yeah but I think if you try to get your foot in the door by somehow, yeah. you know, um, I, I don't like that. And I, f- I think that lets us down as women, actually, because it just means that no one, they don't go beyond, people don't see beyond that. Of course. Unfortunately. And there are a lot of girl DJs who are so talented. I really have to say that. And they're not all fake. Yes, Paris Hilton. <laughs> absolute fake and shit and scary and oh my god and oh no and (laughs) 
I, I don't know. And there are some others. I mean, you know, there are uh, even girls in this industry that I know aren't the best DJs, but they look absolutely amazing. And fair play, cash in on it. Mm-hmm. But to be respected and to be taken seriously for your music, maybe that won't come. And maybe it will never come because that's how you communicate it. Great. But Faisal, another thing uh, which, which I really want to kind of ask, and this is something which, which I'm getting on to because we are looking for this, uh, for music and DJing to be a career for us. And you, over these years, obviously the initial start, money wasn't involved, money wasn't a part of it. I mean, obviously you just did it for, for the love of music. And then it reached a certain point or oh, you reached a certain point in your life where, you know, you had to kind of uh, not monetize it, but kind of get things into structure and eventually make it sustainable. How how would you do it in this time? Because obviously you've seen how things have changed right now uh, with the whole stop and then the whole live streams happening and people doing live streams on Instagram. And eventually we're going slowly going back to our gigs. Goa's opened up. Most of the places are opened up. How do we... know how long for it. Yes. Uh, I mean, I think that everything's really in flux. I think there's a lot of places that are going to stay permanently shut. Yeah. I mean, I most of them won't so open up again. Yeah. Because they lost so much money. And it's not sustainable for many places because of the social distancing and the restrictions and and anyway running a club or a bar or even restaurants it's a really hard business of course licensing issues paying off the police dealing with every change that happens i mean you're really it's hard to make money i have to say and they're really long hours and there's a lot of juggling of everything you know to sustain those and now with 50 percent capacity how are you going to do that there's a limit to how much you can charge for a burger you know so i think sadly I don't really know what's going to happen. I think, you know, also the, the the market has been completely, you know, destroyed. Like someone said to me, oh, um, I guess you're, the gigs are a bit dull. I was like, they're not dead. They're not dull. They're dead. They're in the fucking ICU, man. You know, <laughs> there's no gigs. So I totally get it. We're all kind of very eagerly waiting for things to open but it's going to be slow and I don't really know if if it's going to be as it was nothing is going to be as it was no, but for how for how did you get the entire thing so so being like I said traveling all across India you have mm. your you have a team that works along with you you have a certain uh, way you're getting your 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 shows and obviously you, you know, build- we don't we don't put it out to get any shows every single show we get is somebody called us so I've reached a point because I'm 20 years in where I don't actually I might there might be a new place that's opened up and I'm like, oh my God, I want to play there. So we mm-hmm. might make some calls. But apart from that, actually, it's every inquiry. And even then, I don't take every inquiry. So even though I get offered a lot of gigs, I choose where I want to be positioned. Where does Mar Pfizer want to play? Is that space, you know, worthy of my brand? Or mm-hmm. is that something that I want to be part of? Or So I'm at that point. Oh, I have been up until now. <laughs> I don't hopefully, know. hopefully that will be the same. Nobody. Well, because I, I just, I, I would, rather not play than play in a place that doesn't honor my crowd of course yeah me and isn't of worthy of my crowd actually because my crowd has value they're they're a great bunch of people you know what i realized is if people are really into the music that you play that actually there's some kind of symbiotic relationship of who you are as individuals of course so i just think that you know my diehard fans are good people you know <laughs> and i don't want them to come to some crappy place 
place where it's not worthy of that crowd, you know. Mm-hmm. If, I, if I'm messaging 500 people in Bombay that come to a space and it's a new space, I'm at least maybe 300 people will come if I've got a guest list of 300 people. Yeah. I fill that space with my crowd and I, I want it to be worthy of that. So I try really hard to find great places with great technical setup, with really interesting or really good people involved. I, I have that choice. So I have had up until this point and hopefully that will still continue and I would rather not play than compromise either what I'm playing or whom I'm playing or that my crowd maybe is not valued so I've, I've done some gigs for example where I've invited all my friends and the okay. DJ has just been hideous and the technical has just been monstrous and I know I felt really bad at the end of the gig that I dragged out people to that space yeah. you know at this point in my career I, I don't want to do that so we make a lot of checks and we try to you know make sure that even that it's going to stay open till they said because when I've, I remember doing a festival with Nikhil and Pearl uh, called Twilight at the park and we did many parks around the country we did Hyderabad we did Bangalore we did Delhi and we did Goa and when there was in Goa many of the gigs it was about who was going to start first who was going to start and who was going to end okay so and we had many discussions about it you know and so for most of the gigs I opened and Pearl played after even though I was like well you know I play psychedelic trance and Pearl said well yeah but I play psychedelic trance too I was like okay <laughs> I, I, I just I, I don't want to fight with my ego I will take the place that I've been given and I'll anyway do what I have to do and I'll do it with love I don't want to if, if it's a battle of egos you're always going to lose and I don't want to be in my ego mm-hmm. I want to be in my heart so I did that and then on the last gig was in Goa um, Pearl said you, actually you know what I'll open for you and then you can yeah. um, because she'd played there the week before and it got shut at 10.30 <laughs> so I came on at 10.30 and all my fans were there and they were so pissed off with me people even said Ma fuck you <laughs> You know, I've come all the fucking way and you didn't even play and you've been here one hour. But I've had to listen to Pearl, which is all fine, but I came here for you. And well, people asked for a refund and people were really <laughs> angry. And I had to actually leave that space because people were really angry. Oh my so God. I don't like that. I really don't like it. I, forget about me getting paid or not. This is not about that. This is about honoring human beings who have come there with love. And I just, that makes me feel really uncomfortable. And I'll go home and I probably won't sleep and I'll feel really bad. So I don't want to. I don't want to have gigs like that. So we try really, really, really hard that it it's positioned well. You know, everything is great. And but obviously, sometimes we also don't know. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's the first time at that space. But we ask around. We ask what gigs they've done. We ask other people if they've played there. How is this? I mean, we yeah, of course, the, the, the thorough check. Good, yeah, yeah. What's the plan of the future? What's what's going? On? I've seen you've been doing a lot of things for with MTV, and I see a lot of clicks here and there. And then yeah, what's, I mean, I started what, making music actually. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, when I, I hadn't done that before I was doing remixes I had done it before but with other people but I had this chance of making music for Tarun Taliani um, for the fashion or yeah, the yeah. fashion shows and you know I just happened to meet him I've met him many times over the last decade but we never had a conversation it was so funny every time I was entering a place he was leaving <laughs> I was like okay I always see you when we pass you know and we've always said hello um but we actually met in a social setting and we just had such a great connection. So I really felt like I understood him. And, and yeah, so this was something very new for me and I really enjoyed it. I'm not someone who likes to sit in front of a computer screen all the time. 
mm-hmm. be in the studio. I really want to be out and I want to be in nature. Yeah. I don't want to be stuck in an AC cell, <laughs> prison cell for a month. But I actually really enjoyed this. It was really um, a creative process for me and something I did on my own. And that was really enjoyable. So for me, I have stepped into some new shoes that I, I hadn't done before. And I've been really thrilled at the process and I'm looking forward to doing other things. You know, I've also been doing a lot more creative things which don't involve music or money okay. or, and that's been really enjoyable, but definitely, I mean, I, I also need to see how things are going to open up and what is the world going to be like, but I'm in no rush. Okay. You know, I'm blessed that I haven't had as much pressure as maybe other people have in terms of, you know, I have to work. And for me, I, I, I don't want to compromise what I do just to be able to get, you know, some money in the bank. And I think and just stand by going with the flow of what's happening. I, I think that's a very important um, thing that I want to cover through this podcast is because a lot of the people I know who are in the scene are struggling in terms of their finances. And I... I, I yeah, so I, I mean, yeah, of course. I mean, I'm pretty sure over a couple of years you've you've sensibly used your money. Not what, really. I just blow it every month. Why not? No, I live life to the fullest. I'm not a person who saves. So I just, you know, I have a beautiful home and I love to live well and eat well and I like good, fine things. So, <laughs> and I, I, I'm very frivolous. I have been very frivolous with my money. So I'm not the saver and I'm not the investor and I'm not any of that. I am enjoying life to the max. That's the kind of girl I am. And I think if you know me, that is me. You know, I wouldn't think anything of, you know, blowing my last penny and then be thinking like, okay, I've got a gig next month. It's fine. (laughs) But yeah, so I I can relate to everybody's um, situation. Situation. Absolutely. Definitely. But... I still don't feel the need to compromise my truth. But I think that's because I'm 50 and I'm not 25 and I'm not in yeah. a rush. I'm like, okay, yeah, I can manage through this time. I'll, you know, live really, I've, I've had to live in a whole new way. I mean, I love shopping and I love creating things and buying things to create things and going to old markets. <laughs> and I love to shop. I love, I love retail therapy. It's like the best <laughs> therapy in the world. Wow. So I just had to learn to look at things in a different way and be really creative and say, okay, I've got no budget. How am I going to do this? And I've still been able to do it with no budget. Well, wow. Decorate a room with paper and what wow. the paper cost me, you know, it cost me a hundred rupee. So rather than go out and buy something, I've been like, okay, I'll spend a week, I'll think about something and I'll, I'll make it out of paper. So I, I just, just thinking about things in another way and I love finding solutions to problems. So this has been a big problem. <laughs> No money, what to do? <laughs> okay, let's find a solution, you know. Wow. I just offloaded some things that I didn't need. And I just, I think it's a, it's a, it's a time of letting go. <laughs> you know? Wow. I've always been like that. If I'm like, okay, I don't have money, sell the car. Okay, sell the TV. <laughs> I just sold my car yesterday, actually. <laughs> wow. Yeah, but I, I also, if I come to that point... I'm no, no, it was, it, was, it was more of a strategic move because I'm planning to buy another car. It was a bit expensive for me in terms of my fuel, but talking about... Uh, yeah, but yeah. I mean, I don't, think it, I don't think it's shameful or there's anything to say, you know, like we're all struggling. Yeah. And if you've got to sell XYZ, then why not? I mean, it's also freeing you of responsibility. You know, my car sits here for months and months and I don't go anywhere. <laughs> I'm on the road. I drive my car like maybe five times a year. It's Oh my God. So then I think to myself, well, why have a car? Why not let somebody else enjoy, you know, the car? Yeah. (laughs) 
So I, I, I have these many times, even when I even have money, it's just like, okay, why don't I just, why do I need this? What, what was I thinking? You know, <laughs> I was just in a retail therapy yeah. meditation. <laughs> Ma, we've almost come to the end of the podcast and, and trust me, I mean, I, it doesn't feel like I've met you for the first time uh, in a formal uh, setting, but uh, I definitely wanted to come back to the podcast again. And I think we're going to actually get you as a regular guest because there's so much to learn from you in terms of uh, your technical knowledge, in terms of just the person that you are there's a lot of things you can teach us a lot of life lessons in fact you should just that's another alternative career for you <laughs> you know probably just yeah, I mean there's been a lot of wisdom I've definitely done a lot yeah. of um, questioning and answering but my answers change over <laughs> over time because we evolve now. that keeps it that keeps that keeps even the podcast interesting if you're on board yeah, that keep sure. it interesting as well sure uh, just before we let you go just uh, a simple uh, your last few thoughts on uh, on how how would we get uh, you know over the scenario and uh, you know what's what's the I advice Stay positive and use this time wisely, like really um, expand, expand even who you are as a human. Now is the time for kindness and compassion with ourselves, with the universe, with strangers, with other people. I think now is a time for reflection, mm -hmm. uh, a time to pick up hobbies, a time to um, rest, recover, health, yeah. maybe look up. How have you been living? And maybe this is a turning point in history for all of us. Of course. Uh, as maybe we could do things a bit better. Maybe we could be kinder to ourselves. Maybe we could be kinder to nature. Maybe we could be kinder to others. I think if you hold on to that, then whatever's happening in terms of even people dying, people being sick, the economy completely fucked. I think if you can hold on to that and see that, you know, this is a time for us to actually build new ways of being, new ways of living, new ways of thinking. I think there's going to be a whole lot of people questioning. Like I was stuck in a rat race and I was going here, going there, going there, you know, in terms of a job. Of course. Someone who had a nine to five job who didn't spend much time with their family yeah, and who's now been at home for all that time. I think actually they can see that maybe they want different things. Mm -hmm. And I think that's so positive because I think there were so many people just being so robotic. And I think this has given us time, you know, and the most luxurious thing you can have in your life. I mean, the most valuable asset on this planet is time. <laughs> yeah. And I think most people didn't realize that. So, you know, what is the price of not seeing your child grow up because you're busy at work? You know, is there a price on that? Yeah. And are you now willing to go back to that? So I think these are really interesting questions. And I think this is going to be historical in terms of people recalibrating what their working life is, mm -hmm. what their personal life is. I think as well, it's given, I, I mean, I don't know about other people, but for me, I have so many friends all over the world. And I would say this is been one of the most silent times of my life. I've literally not spoken to people for eight months or six months or I spoke to someone today. I haven't spoken to her for maybe a year yeah. yet we would speak so much more often but I found myself in more of a silent space where I don't even look at my phone. My phone's on silent most of the time and I, I'm, I, you know, so I think it's been a really important time. Mm -hmm. I think this was needed because everything was so robotic and we took everything for granted. I mean, of course. You know, I was in a process of gratitude and reflection. I'd already made many decisions in my career to say I only do 50 gigs a year. Last year I did 40 gigs. This year I plan to do 30 gigs. Just doing less and less and less because I want six months off. Yeah. And I take six months off because I realized many about six years ago that my health was much more important and my well-being and my joy and my passion and time is the most precious thing and fuck money. 
Yeah. You know, I don't want money in the bank. I want time. I'd rather have time with the people that I love than one more gig. Mm -hmm. You know, because that's so precious. You don't get that back. Money comes and goes. And you only have money so you can buy things, which we all love. <laughs> but what is that feeding? So I think it's a really amazing time right now. Even with the negative energy that's there, I think it's a time for us to, if we can think positively, yeah. that we can re-evaluate who we are, what we want from life, and actually lead better quality of life with maybe better understanding of what's important. Mm -hmm. Wow. That was a deep, deep episode. And, uh, <laughs> and, and of course, it's, it's, it's Mafaiza with us. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you so much for inviting me to your wonderful, wonderful house. I hope to see you soon on the yeah. podcast again. Yeah, let's do And, uh, you know, amazing time so having chatted with you. Thank yeah. you so much, Ma. Thank you Thank so much. You. Thank you. And that was the episode, guys. Thanks for tuning into the Breakthrough Podcast. I'm getting mad love from all of you guys from the fraternity. Continue sharing, but definitely consider subscribing, following, liking, doing all that good stuff. This definitely helps me a lot. 